Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. What is nature? Nature, it's not a word that's found in the Bible, the 24 books of the Torah, the word Teva. But nature, it's like an imprint, something that's imprinted, like a, a tabat, a ring, an imprint, a seal. Nature imprints itself, it becomes the nature of everything. Its nature characterizes something that's really inexplicable. We don't understand it, but this is its nature. Science, what we call nature, we don't understand it. We don't understand electricity, we can describe it. We don't understand it. It's a mystery to us, but we can describe it. It's a reality, it's a fact. It's a nature. It doesn't expl- nature doesn't explain anything. It's just a description. That's really what nature is. It's just a description. This is what it does. How it does it. Why it does it. We don't know. But this is its nature. Everything from the amoeba, the amoeba on up, is pushing to preserve itself. In other words, ego. It's all about ego. It's all about I. Ego. Self-preservation. The exception is a flame. A candle. The candle is not looking to preserve itself. What's the nature of a candle? The nature of a candle is to extinguish itself. You have to literally force the fire down. Otherwise, the candle just wants to be absorbed in its source. Put a little flame next to a torch. It'll leap up and become absorbed in the torch. Even though it'll become indistinguishable in the torch, it's not about ego. Which is why you can light a thousand candles from one flame. Fire, flame, is the closest we can get to help us understand the nature of something spiritual. It, it draws upward. It's drawn towards its source. That's why everything else, the power of gravity, it falls down. It wants to exist. It wants to continue its existence. Ego, I, self, identity. While the flame, this is the opposite. The flame wants to be absorbed in its source. It wants to lose itself in its source. It wants to extinguish its identity. It wants to become one with its source. And that's why it's constantly leaping up. So this is the nature of a flame. It's the nature of a candle. It's inexplicable. Because everything really wants to exist. Everything wants to continue to exist. Why would a flame jump up against, its, against this desire to continue its existence? And why would it lose itself and ex- become extinguished in the process? And yet that's its nature. It almost can't help itself. That, that's what fl- a flame and energy is all about. It's not about ego. It's not about self-fulfillment. It's not about... Finding meaning. Meaning is, how can God make my life more meaningful? What can God do for me? It's to elevate, to enhance, to amplify my being, my existence. That's not the yearning, that's not the driving force of the soul. The yearning and the driving force of the soul is to lose itself. To become one with God. It's not about yourself. It's what can I do for God? It's to, not to be self-centered or I-centered. And by the way, I-centered doesn't necessarily mean being coarse and vulgar. Thinking about money, power, fame, indulgence. I-centered could also be religion. It's also I-centered. The sheer I'm going to have in the world to come. What can God do for me? My reward. Eternal reward. Eternal ego. Eternal I. The whole world to come could be one big ego game. That's not the motivation of a Jew. The motivation of a Jew is to serve Hashem. 
Balshemtiv once promised that a childless couple. I promise you, I swear to you, that next year this time you are going to have a. You're going to be holding a baby. You're going to have a child. And at that moment, a voice. You heard a voice from heaven, a heavenly voice. He says, "This couple cannot have a child." And since you defied the laws of nature and even the divine laws, and you decree that they have to have a child, and the, the Torah says when a tzaddik decrees, God obeys. So because of you, God had to bend the laws of nature. Therefore, you lost your share in the world to come. Now the average Jew would be shocked. What was the Bashemta's response? Bashemta says, wonderful. Mazel now I can serve God without any ulterior motive. I know that I'm not getting a share in the world to come. I can serve God just in order to serve God. Because I love God and have a relationship with God. And just to serve God, I'm not getting, I'm, I'm not getting, gaining anything. I'm not getting anything in return. I'm not expecting anything in return. It's just because I love God, just to serve God for God's sake. What is that all about? This is what a Jewish neshama is all about. It's not about ego. It's not what am I going to get out of this. I expect something in return. The neshama is God-centered. What can I do for Hashem? There's no ego. No trace of ego. It's not about I. So that's the analogy. That's why we light a yardside licht. We light a candle. A candle, the neshama is compared to a candle. Just like the candle jumps, leaps up. The candle yearns. It wants to leave the physical, the material. It yearns to go up, to become absorbed in its source, to lose itself in its source, lose its identity in its source. So to the neshama, wants to, it's not about I. It wants to become absorbed in its source. It wants to become one, one with Hashem. And this is called nature. Because nature is something that's inexplicable. You can't explain it. It's not a logical thing. Logic dictates that you have to, your existence should continue. You have to further your existence. Self-preservation. Ego. I. Logic doesn't dictate that you should cease to exist. No. The whole framework of logic is based on I. I understand. I get it. It elevates me. It inspires me. It's meaningful to me. It amplifies me. It turns me into something eternal. I become an eternal being. The logical mind cannot grasp something that's beyond the eye. There is no eye. That I should be motivated by pure selflessness? That's an impossible. Ultimately, there's always a selfish motive. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a healthy ego. A person is motivated. He wants to become something. He wants to be somebody. And he realizes that to be a somebody doesn't mean I have to be coarse and vulgar. It means to be a somebody. I should have content. I should have meaning. I should become spiritual. I should. But ultimately, even being selfless also could be motivated by I. What do I gain from it? It gives me a certain satisfaction. It gives me a certain pleasure. But pure love, not, not asking anything in return, this is something that's not logical. It's not within the frame, our frame of reference. It's not within the human frame of reference. It's an impossibility. 
every Jew inherits this love to Hashem, this connection to Hashem. We inherit it from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because to them, Judaism, the relationship to God, it wasn't just a love affair that they have with God. It became part of their core, part of their essence. They became like a chariot to God. A chariot is egoless, has no ego. The chariot is whatever the driver wants to drive the chariot, that's where the chariot goes. The chariot just becomes a tool in the hands of the driver. So they became so inseparable with God that they became one with God, inseparable. Therefore, their whole being became God. And therefore, just like a person's your humanity, right, is automatically inherited. Even a thousand generations from now, a human being will never give birth to a monkey. Because that's your essence, that's who you are. How you behave is one thing. But who you are, that's not something that's acquired. That, that's your essence. So to our Jewishness, to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, their Jewishness became their very core and their very essence. And therefore, automatically, all their children inherit, will inherit this Jewish soul, this Jewish connection. And then he says, what is the root? What is the source of this connection to Hashem? So he says, this is the level of wisdom that each and every Jewish soul has. We have a level of wisdom within our soul. And what is the level of wisdom? The level of wisdom is that when you see something, when you see that the sun is shining, Einstein can come to you and prove to you with irrefutable logic that right now it must be pitch, pitch dark outside. It's impossible the sun will be shining. And you're looking out the window and you see the sun shine. Would you doubt for a moment that the sun is shining? Not for a moment. I see the sun. Your logic is irrefutable. But I see the sun. So I can't argue with you and I can't explain it to you and I can't... I have nothing to say. But I see the sun. It's not about me. Logic, the logical mind, the analytical mind, the left brain, that is me. I understand. I grasp. I digest. I... When you see something, it's not about you. You forget about yourself. You're lost in, in the scenery. Like sometimes you're, you're mesmerized. You see the seven wonders of the world... It's like, it's like you forget about yourself. It's like you're just, you're just amazed. You're in a trance. You're just, you're just drawn in. You're grabbed by the scenery because it's not you. We see godliness. We sense godliness. It has nothing to do with us. It's just something that we inherit. We inherit a Jewish nisham, a Jewish soul. We're called the chosen people, not the choosing people. It's not something that we created. It's not religion. Because we have the level of wisdom of the Jewish soul that, that's able to receive and absorb the essence of God. We're able to see God. And this is natural. It comes natural to us. It's not logical. It's inexplicable. There's no explanation for nature. It's a description. This is the way it is. Why does the candle flicker upwards and wants to disappear and be absorbed and lose itself, lose its identity? We can't explain it. It makes no sense. It goes contrary to our whole human experience. Everything in this world wants to self-preserve, self-preservation, ego. But that's the reality. That's a candle. That's a flame. That's its nature. And it can't help it. That's its nature. So too, the Jewish soul can't even help himself. The Jew cannot be disconnected from God. It's not a logical, rational choice that a Jew makes. Oh, I would rather be connected to God and I'm going to martyr myself rather than deny my Jewishness and bow down to the idol. You don't need explanations. You don't need, you don't need convincing. It's, it's an impossibility. The Jew cannot, I cannot deny my Jewishness. It's who I am. It's my essence. And therefore I would rather give everything up. 
give up my life. I love life. Give everything up. Just because I am Jewish. That's our description. That's the Jewish Nisham. That's what makes us holy. And it's not something that we accomplish. We have nothing to do with it. <laughs> There's no human fingerprints on it. We're just born, because we're born to a Jewish mother. We have that holy soul. We have that neshama. We inherited that neshama from our patriarchs, our matriarchs. Every Jew, till the end of time, a thousand generations, forever and ever, a Jew will always give birth to a Jew. It could be a self-hating Jew. It could be a... It doesn't matter. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. And the Jew has the same neshama, like the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar, who davens three times a day and studies 18 hours of Torah a day. Same neshama. The exact same neshama. Same absolute neshama with the same nature. It's there. Hidden, but it's there. The only one who doesn't appreciate this quality is us. The non-Jew sees it in the Jew. And when a Jew is in touch with it, the non-Jew is in awe of it, admires it. When Jews are unified, when Jews are one and united with the envy of the world, the world is in awe of us. But when a Jew forgets, when a Jew forgets that he's Jewish, and a Jew thinks that he's just ordinary and just like anyone else, and is more English than the English, and more German than the German, that evokes anti-Semitism in the worst way. Because we're lying to them. We're lying to ourselves, and we're lying to them. And they don't buy it for a moment. No. Because they know that we have a Jewish soul. And we stood at Sinai. And we have a Torah. And we have the blueprint. And we have a truth. An absolute truth. An ultimate truth. And our goal and mission in life is really to be the teachers of the world, to be the conscience of the world. And when the teacher forgets that he's a teacher and pretends to be one of the students, the students despise the teacher. They can't, they can't as it is the students hate the teacher, because the teacher is disciplining them, the teacher is forcing them very unnaturally. But then they grow up and they realize the teacher is their best friend, because the teacher is teaching them skills in life, how to appreciate life. Inevitably, that's the world of Mashiach. The nations of the world will grow up and realize that the Jew is their best friend, that the, these are the values that the Jews have been teaching for 3,800 years, a belief in one God, in an absolute God, a belief in an absolute truth, a belief in absolute values and realities and truth and right and wrong and good and evil and the seven Noahide laws. This is the only decent way to live, to really live a wholesome life, to fully develop your God-given potential. Every human being is created in the image of God in order to fully develop your potential, divine, God-given potential, to be moral, ethical, and spiritual, this is the only decent way to live. And we see that today. Look at the non-Jews, the religious Christians in America, how much they respect the Jews. And in the the halls of Congress, there's a tremendous respect today for, for Jews. Because they're realizing the Jewish message from Madonna on down, everyone wants to learn Kabbalah, learn Torah, connect to something Jewish. So the world today is realizing that the Jewish message is a beautiful, wonderful message. They're growing up and they're realizing that the teacher is their best friend. The problem is not the problem is us. When the teacher forgets that he's a teacher. When Israel pretends that we're just a little tiny country and we're begging to be accepted and to be treated equally. 
And we have, what's the backlash? The worst anti-Semitism since Hitler. It's boycott of academicians in England. And only gets worse and worse. Because they want the teacher to be a teacher. You're not one of us. Don't pretend you're just one of us. Who are you kidding? You're the conscience of the world. You have that Jewish soul. You have that divine spark. You stood at Sinai. You have the Torah. You have the blueprint. You, have the, you are the teacher. Teach. We're open today. They're not shoving Jews into ovens anymore. Today, the world is wel- welcomes the Jewish message. If only the Jew had the courage of their conviction to stand up and to speak up as a Jew and to speak decisively and to lead by personal example, the world will give us a standing ovation. That's the world we live in today. It's a different world. Live a godly life. Live a holy life. Be proud of your Torah. You're 3,800 years old. We're the most classical people in the face of the world. And we, all this time, we never left the front pages. We've survived, like no other nation on earth, survived Hitler's and pogroms and the Holocaust and destruction. And we're just as youth as fresh as, as we were then. The eternal Jew hasn't changed one iota. We haven't lost one iota of our freshness, of our vigor, of our strength. It's a different world. The world is over. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be apologetic. You don't have to be embarrassed. Just be. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. Be natural. You know, when someone is natural in the office, everyone feels comfortable around them. It may be overweight, it may be this, it may be that, but they feel natural. They make everyone around them feel comfortable. When someone feels unnatural, they make everyone around them crazy. <laughs> they make everyone feel unnatural. They don't feel comfortable in their own skin. The problem today is not the nunges. We have to feel natural in our own skin. We have to be proud of our being Jewish. And if we're proud of being Jewish, and it's not about ego. It's not about arrogance. Not in an arrogant way. We're smarter. We're better. That's, that's not what being Jewish is about. On the contrary, the whole essence of being Jewish is there is no arrogance. There is no ego. It's not about me. We're God-centered instead of being ego-centered. So the pride, Jewish pride, is not about an egotistical arrogance. On the contrary, the whole essence of Jewish pride is a divine pride. It's not about ego. It's not about I. I heard a beautiful story that... Uh, a very philanthropic Jew in London, Bobby Vogel, may soul rest in peace, in London. And he um, was very generous. He was in the diamond business. And he noticed as the community matured that many of the young people, yeshiva students, didn't have a job. You know, couldn't earn a living and support their families. And he had an idea. He says, maybe you should open a school where they can learn part-time and then learn how to polish diamonds. So they can make a nice, honest, comfortable living. One of his visits to New York, he asked the Rebbe, Lubavitch Rebbe, he says, what do you think? And he said, I want to, I want to make it like, like a Chabad vocational school, like they have in Kfar Chabad. In Israel, they have a Chabad vocational school. We'll make it a Chabad vocational school. The Rebbe says, Chas v'shol, God forbid. He's taken aback. Why not? He says, if you're going to call it a Chabad vocational school, there's going to be a Satmer who doesn't like Chabad. He won't feel comfortable. So you're gonna, are you going to deprive him from a living because you're calling it Chabad? Can you imagine? The Rebbe's chassid. <laughs> Probably motivated by everything he's been taught by the Rebbe and the Tanya and Chassidus. An act of selflessness. And the Rebbe wasn't thinking about it's good for me, it's good for the causes. That person needs help. What are you doing to help him? Forget about it. If it's better for him, don't mention my name. Don't mention my name. Just help him. Forget about anything. This is holiness. 
This is the definition of holiness. Selflessness. It's not about I. I don't expect anything in return. It's, it's about you. It's for Hashem's sake. Even though I, I will be absorbed, I will be lost in the process. Totally transcend my ego. There won't be any I. It's fine. Self-sacrifice. Sacrificing your soul. Not about sacrificing your body in order to get a bigger share in the world to come. To become an important and uh, an eternal I. It's not about I. I'm interested how you kind of the Jews that don't have such a straight path. There's criminal Jews, there's Jews that don't want to be Jewish, there's Jews that act corruptly. You can ask even more so. You can ask the question that there are Jews, yes, 90 or 95% of Jews in the moment of truth would rather give up their lives than deny their Jewishness. But there were Jews who did convert Christianity, and there were Jews who... um, the Jews who actually turned against the Jewish people. You know, not only they converted to Christianity, they became the worst informers and our, our worst nightmare. You know, your worst enemies is from within you. Firstly, a person always has choice. This is your nature. But God gives us a choice. We can go against our nature, violently oppose our nature. So we ha- always have that freedom of choice. We always have that option. Um, but you don't have to go to such extreme cases. You know, the Myelanskis of the world, I mean, every one of us. How is it, if being Jewish is so important to us that we're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice of our Jewishness in the moment of truth, how can we do anything that's not Jewish? How can we go against one single paragraph in the code of Jewish law? Every one of us should have been tzaddikim. How is it possible for us to say something wrong, or to think something wrong, or to, uh, to act, not to do the right thing? But the answer is this, is, this is called the human condition. It's called immaturity. As the Talmud says, a person doesn't sin unless he has a moment of insanity. Because the truth is, any sin is really a moment of insanity. Because we convince ourselves that we're good Jews. I'm a good Jew at heart. If you ask the majority of Jews, everyone will tell you, I'm a good Jew at heart. So I don't live a Jewish life, but I'm a good Jew at heart. I'm there. Israel's in need. I'm the first one. Now, of course, it makes no sense. If being Jewish is so important to you, when was the last time a person told you, my heart is healthy, so my, my hands are falling off and my feet are falling off, and I'm sick in every other organ in my body, but I'm, I'm, my heart is healthy. That's right, it's ridiculous, it's absurd. What do you mean your heart is healthy? You want every bone in your body to be healthy, you want every fingernail to be healthy, every toe. You don't compromise on one iota. So if you're being Jewish is so important, it's the heart of who you are, then you should live your Jewishness, express your Jewishness 24-7. But that's, that's the challenge that we have because that's the human condition, immaturity. We don't make a connection. We know vaguely, it's a fuzzy, vague feeling. We know subconsciously that being Jewish is the most important thing in my life. This is our nature. This is our core. It's our essence. But it's dormant. It's asleep. It's hidden. We're not in touch with it. But in the moment of truth, it comes roaring like a lion. It's there. The spark is there. The pilot is there. The potential is there. At the core, since everyone's human, that's why basically we say if you're a human being, you're going to do the wrong thing sometimes. The reason why on the day of our bar mitzvah, which is such a joyous occasion, we become a man, we become an adult, responsible for the day of the bat mitzvah. And yet, we say tachanun. Usually in a day of a simcha, the day of the bris, the day of a wedding, you don't say, you don't make a confession. 
Yet the day of a bar mitzvah, you're entering into adulthood, into responsibility, and yet we say tachan and we say the regular confession. And the uh, Rebbe gives a beautiful explanation because you want to tell the child, and the child may be overwhelmed, that I'm about to take upon myself 613 mitzvot, I'm human. Inevitably, I'm going to fail. So you tell the child, relax. The Torah is a program for real people. It's not a program for angels. Angels never sin, never stumble. It's a program for real people. Real people sin and stumble. And sometimes we mess up really badly. We really hurt ourselves. Really hurt our loved ones, the people we love most. And we really do very foolish things that we come to regret no end. It wasn't worth the pleasure that we had. It wasn't worth it. The momentary pleasure, it's not worth it. But instead of feeling lost and depressed and feeling worthless, Torah reminds us that we have a whole book of Leviticus, the central book in the Torah, sacrifices, repentance, the shuv, return. You can change. It's never too late. You always get a second chance. You don't learn unless you stumble. One step back in order to take two steps forward. That's life. Life is movement. And sometimes even failing and stumbling is part of that movement, part of the growth. Unless the seed rots, you can't grow. The seed has to rot. And when the seed is so rotten that there's nothing left of the seed, you feel like a rotten, you're like, there's nothing left of you. At that moment, <laughs> that's the moment of growth. When you think it's all over, you're so confounded and confused and lost and, 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 and it's hopeless and you feel dark and... That's the moment that the brilliant flash enters your mind. Oh, now I got it. A whole new path opens up to you. A whole new direction. An exciting, unexpected revelation. Startling revelation opens, opens up. A life opens up in a whole new direction. So that's, that's growing pains. That's why Hashem created the world. You don't grow unless you lose your ego. You know, that's life. Life is you make you stumble and you make egregious mistakes and terrible mistakes. But don't forget, it's only because you can make those terrible mistakes that when you do the right thing, it's so meaningful. If you could never really make a real, real mistake, a real beauty, you know, a real... You have no worry in this room. A real beauty. Everyone on their own level. Listen, we all have things we're all embarrassed of. Everyone has their skeletons in the closet. If you couldn't make a mistake that's a real beauty, then the good that you do, that you do would be meaningless. It's only because you can really make a mistake and then when you choose wisely to do the right thing, it's your choice. Look, look how, how wonderful it feels. Look how, what an accomplishment, what an achievement. That's why Hashem gave us the ultimate gift. The ultimate gift of freedom of choice. And He allows us to make these horrible mistakes. But it only, ultimately, it only makes us better and stronger and deeper and more mature more profound but the potential is always there the fact that we can sin and we can mess up is only because when you're connected when you're so connected so everything that you do has an impact leaves an impression you can't help but leave, leave an impression have an impact Kabbalah and the psychology of the soul taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.